Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. And welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast about death in which me and my brother John answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Hey, John, how you doing? I'm doing well. It's been a good week so far. I've just been playing FIFA as AFC Wimbledon. Uh, I've been writing a lot. What else is going on this week? Uh, not much. It's cold here in Indianapolis. We've had our first uh, real good solid snowfall, and it's... Uh, it's real icy and intimidating. I've been running a lot. I don't know. Things are good. Things are really good. How are you? Well, uh, the day that we are recording this podcast, uh, it, it is a week ago, as you people listening to it, uh, or maybe more than that, but is the day that we found out that David Bowie died, and I'm very sad, and having, uh, I'm dealing with that. Indeed, we must uh, we must pause to give thanks for the life of David Bowie, who is uh, such a uh, astonishing revelation in so many worlds, uh, not just music, but uh, in the way that he presented himself, in the way that he shifted between identities, truly um, a man ahead of his time. Yes. Yes, very helpful for me um, to have David Bowie as a sort of role, role model, uh, not in all things, of course, but in many. And... Uh, I am sad. So the local radio station is is playing only David Bowie on vinyl this day, and uh, I was just sitting in my car. Uh, very, very hard to leave that. But here I am for Dear Hank and John, a comedy podcast about death. So appropriate today. It couldn't, couldn't be a better day to do a comedy podcast about <laughs> death. Uh, would you like oh, a short man. poem for the day? I should have done something David Bowie-centric, but I didn't, Hank. I wasn't properly prepared. I, that's fine. I accept your apology. Uh, instead, I've got a Sonia Sanchez poem for you today. Do you know Sonia Sanchez? She uh, was born in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, my hometown. Not yours, even though we're brothers. <laughs> um, and uh, great, uh, uh, just, a, just a, brilliant, a brilliant poet. Um, and one of, one, of the best, uh, one of the best love poems. Uh, poets we have uh, in the world today, I think, although she also 
uh, writes blisteringly and and beautifully about uh, race and and sex and feminism and lots of other things. But uh, this is a uh, it's a very short poem uh, called "Black Magic" by Sonia Sanchez. Magic, my man, is you turning my body into a thousand smiles. Black magic is your touch making me breathe. Black Magic by Sonia Sanchez. Short poem. Very short poem for the day, Hank. I thought, uh, I feel like I've been lengthening the definition of short poems yes. uh, lately on Dear John and Hank, and, and I feel like I might be losing some listeners in the process. So <laughs> go check out Sonia Sanchez if you're not familiar with her work. Uh, it is full of, of richness, and it's just uh, she's just a wonderful, wonderful poet. Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, next week, Hank, I'll have a poem for you about grief. How's that? I'll, I'll, we'll, 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 we'll remember David Bowie a week after his death, which as <laughs> listeners are listening, will be like six months after his death. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, and I think that uh, with that, it is already time to start answering questions. It's only taken us like three minutes. It's unheard of, John. Well, I don't know what to do. I... I, I I would like to extend the intro to the podcast, but I have no, I have no other short poems for the day. No, and, and I, uh, as sad as I am, don't want to harp on it, uh, especially because everyone else is further along in their process of grief than I am. So we've got a question from Henry who asks, Dear Hank and John, why are DVD covers not square? Mm, that's a great question. Mm. I think I know the answer. You know, I, I think I can I can sum up the answer in two words, actually. Two words that you might might disagree with, but uh, and that the world might disagree with. Okay. Um, but my two words are blockbuster video. Okay. I think that you're wrong, respectfully, but I think you're on the <laughs> okay. right track. I think blockbuster video is part of why DVDs are not square, but I think the actual deep down answer is VHR. I think that because video cassettes... I think you've used the wrong... John, you used the wrong three letters there. I apologize for interrupting. Really? But did you say VHR? VCR. Oh, I thought you said VHR. I don't think so. Did I? Did I say VCR? I I think I think you may have completed. You may have conflated. Let's just just back it all up. No, no, do not back it up. You are not allowed to back it up just because you said something wrong. Everybody's going to enjoy that. There's no way we're going to get out. There's there's no. I'm going to force Nick to edit this bit out. It's staying in. It's staying in. All right. So tell me about VHR. VCR, (laughs) video cassette recorders. My theory about why DVDs. Yes are shaped the way they are is so they can look more like VHS tapes. That's where I got the H from because of VHS (laughs) tapes. They can look more like VHS tapes, be similarly shaped so that when DVDs first came out, and I remember this vividly, I remember thinking, but why would you want to watch something on a CD? Uh, (laughs) it, It had the advantage of being rectangularly shaped so that I could say to myself, well, I don't like this business of giving up video cassettes but I suppose at least the shape is the same. Right, and I mean, if you look at if you if they had made them the the sort of same form factor as CDs, everybody would have felt like I was watching a movie on a CD. Uh, whereas they made it more the sort of size of yeah, more the height uh, of of a, a VHS tape. And also, there's there's just something pleasing about that aspect ratio. It's the same aspect ratio as a book. And the reason the books are that shape is you know it's kind of a good good 
shape for reading, but also it's just very pleasing to us that that like golden ratio shape. So I uh, yeah, I th- I think it has to do entirely with product marketing and uh, and I would love to know the number of gallons of oil that were necessary to make DVD cases that shape rather than the, the shape they need they they could have been, which is much smaller than they were. But uh, someone do that calculation for me, and then we can all go, ugh, and then move on. Well, but it's over, Hank. I mean, the nice thing is that every time we don't buy a DVD today, we save all of that oil that would have gone into that plastic. Instead, we just download it from iTunes. It's true, it's true. I mean, the number one question I have for Henry uh, is, what are DVDs? <laughs> right. A lot of people listening to this are like, uh, this is a fascinating discussion <laughs> about two ancient pieces of technology I have no relationship with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, jo- John couldn't even remember what a, what a VHS tape was called. So that's going to be that's going to be DVDs in 10 years, a mere 10 years. <laughs> All right, we've got another question, Hank. Uh, This one is from Avery, who writes, Dear John and Hank, can you set a cucumber on fire, or is its water content too high and therefore not flammable? That's a great question. (laughs) And it's an important question, because I can't tell you how often I've looked at a cucumber and thought, I'm going to Charizard this mofo, but then thought, you know what? I'm not sure if that's scientifically possible. Well, John, you can definitely set a cucumber on fire, but you're going to have to bake the water out of it first. Um, th- mm. Yeah, I mean, a lot of, like, that, even when you're burning wood, sometimes the, the wood is wet, and so you throw it on there, and then it steams for a little while before it catches. Um, but yeah, there there is right. combustible material inside of a cucumber, but you would, if you dehydrated a cucumber, you could totally light it on fire. Um, and I, I, I don't okay. know how well it would burn. I've never tried, but I bet you a dehydrated cucumber would would burn very much like a uh, like a piece of wood. Um, now, Hank, let me ask you a related question: uh, Have you ever had a Kool Aid pickle? That is a uh, a cucumber that has been pickled in Kool Aid. Um, no, I. Well, I have great news. Okay. Your life is about to get better uh, because there is nothing on God's green earth as delicious. As a Kool-Aid pickle. Well, I have... How, well, how is my life about to get better, though? Because who's going to give me this Kool-Aid pickle? Well, now that you've asked for one, lots of people, I bet. <laughs> Every time we go on tour for the next 10 years, you'll get a Kool-Aid pickle. <laughs> I want to say to all those people who are considering giving me a Kool-Aid pickle whenever whenever I might show up in your town, uh, please do not. Please bring me a cookie. <laughs> I want cookies. That's a, I do not want Kool-Aid pickles. I don't like pickles. I'm not a pickle guy. I, I can have some sweet relish on a hot dog, but really that's the, that's the extent of my pickle interest. I just, vinegar is very strong. It's a very strong flavor, and I, I, I am not into it, John. So, I do, I, of course, I'm, I assume that there's no vinegar in a Kool-Aid pickle, which makes me think that it's probably going to spoil pretty quickly. Uh, I don't know. I think there is vinegar in it, actually. But I'm not a, I'm not a scientific expert in how Ugh. Kool-Aid Ugh. pickles come to be. All I know is that they taste better than regular pickles. Um, but, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about, about that about uh, recently, just because today— um, or yesterday, actually, as we're recording this, was the, was the four-year anniversary of the publication of my book, The Fault in Our Stars, Hank. And I was thinking back to that tour in 2012, which was so fun, but also so stressful that for years, all I could remember when I thought about it was the uh, anxiety that, that it provoked, because we, we would sign for several hours after the... Uh, 
after the event, and that was that was pretty overwhelming for me. But one of my uh, one of my central memories from that is that is that very kind, lovely, generous people. Uh, at every city that we went to, they would bring us peeps because one time in 2007, mm-hmm. for those who don't know, peeps are these uh, marshmallow-like, preservative-filled Easter uh, yeah. candies shaped like yellow, usually like yellow chicks. Um, but people would bring us peeps because we made some peeps jokes back in 2007. And and we could never think of a polite way to say the truth, which is that we both hate Peeps. That's the whole point. That's why we had to do the peep things because it was a punishment. It wasn't a punishment, but it was like it was like a challenge. Like, ha ha ha! Look at this person doing a thing he doesn't want to do. Exactly. And then people were like, "Yeah, they must love peeps so much." But you know, people were uh, people were you know latching onto uh, being a part of the inside of this thing, and uh, and I appreciate that. But yeah, we had a lot of peeps that we we would take them to the next place, and then we would throw them into the audience. Um, be like peep time, yeah, which turned out well which because some people like peeps and those people got to enjoy them. Yes. Uh, anyway, the the the, sh- the the short version of this very very long answer um, is that yes, you can light a cucumber on fire, and yes, please bring Hank Kool Aid pickles when he's on tour. <laughs> cookies, by which he means cookies. Um, but I, I do feel like next time we go on tour, we should bring a bunch of peeps and we can throw them out in the audience every single every single time. That would be fun. It's a, I feel it's like that's like sort of like a like a cheap, uh, safe thing to throw into an audience. You're not going to get hurt getting hit in the head with peeps. No. I've got another question. This one is from Sydney, who asks, "Dear Hank and John, if you're standing on the moon, does the Earth ever eclipse the sun? How often does this happen? And does it look as remarkable as a lunar eclipse does from Earth? More importantly, what?" Uh, more, most importantly, what does John think happens? Thank you for the question, Sydney. So if you're standing on the moon, does the Earth ever eclipse the sun? The answer is, of course, yes. And in fact, the Earth eclipses the sun more often than the moon uh, eclipses the sun for those of us uh, standing on Earth. You know, John, I actually don't, I don't know the answer to this question. I would have to look it up. Well, my answer was so confident that even if it is incorrect, people will believe me. Well, I'm, I think you're right. Like, like based on just base, like, I don't 100% know, but based, based on the fact that the Earth is bigger than the moon, um, it, it probably would eclipse the sun more than the, than the moon does. But I don't, I don't know. I, I, so, I don't know why I asked this question without having looked it up. I apologize. All right, let's move on to an, another question then, Hank, so that you don't have to continue to be embarrassed. This one is from Catrice who asks, Dear John and Hank, I know that both of you have your own social feeds, but have you ever considered creating anonymous social profiles to be able to experience a social network without the burden of relative fame? In other words, are you hiding as faceless social network users among us? This is a very interesting question, and I know a lot of people who do. Um, You know, I know, like, Mm -hmm. I have a lot of uh, sort of, you know, famous-ish friends or or acquaintances um, who have you know, lives on social networks that are, you know, private because of the way that the way that they structure them and because they've never sort of been outed as as being affiliated with that uh, channel. I have one Reddit account that I use um, just to enjoy soccer anonymously um, without having people, you know, jump in and talk about uh, other other stuff that I do. Um, That's the only uh, sort of non public facing social uh, identity that I have, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, my Reddit account is 
people know who I am, but most people don't. And so the I just feel like Reddit is a, a sort of demographically different place from most of the places that I spend time on, and my username is not my name. So usually I think that people don't, like, I feel like just a normal person when I'm using my Reddit account, uh, unless I'm doing an AMA or something. Um, so I, I like spend time on like the personal finance subreddit and the ulcerative colitis subreddit and those people, I'm just another person. And so I sort of get that experience that way. But yeah, I mean, honestly, I spend so much time doing social media as part of like sort of, you know, it's, it's part of my job, but it's a part that I enjoy. But like beyond that, I don't want to do a bunch of it because I do it all the time, all day anyway. So um, I, I sort of get all of my social fix uh, with the normal, with my like public social media-ing, and I don't want any more of it after that. Yeah, I just wouldn't know how to do it very well, I don't think. <laughs> like, I don't, you know, I never, I, never had a, I, I never had a Twitter without an audience. Um, I've had a website without an audience. Like I feel like I know how mm-hmm, to write. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for a website, you know, as a as a, as a person who doesn't have much of a public life, but I don't um, I don't know how to do it, and I and I don't really want to learn. Like I admire I admire people who do it. Like there there are some Twitter accounts that I follow that I just follow because they're extremely thoughtful and funny mm-hmm. and engaging, but not because of whoever the person is who runs it. Um, and in a way, like that to me is sort of the the purest and most interesting form of. Uh, social media, but it's not the it's not the it's not the way that I've ever used it. So I, I I don't think I'd even know where to begin. Aiden, I've got another question, John. It's from Aiden who asks, "Dear Hank and John, is it always wrong to break the law? Oh boy. Are certain laws meant to be broken? Oh boy. Can you still be a good person who breaks the law? Oh um, boy. What I don't have any. I, this is not a hard question for me at all. I'm surprised that you are struggling with it. Well, I think the rule of law is actually really important to the to the maintenance of a social order um but i do right but let me let me let me give you an example of 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 times when it is uh okay to break the law okay when the law when the law breaks like fundamental human justice things like for a very long time it was illegal to be gay Um, right and like and so that in that case it is uh, it is okay to break that law. Now, that law was not made to be broken, but I think it was important that people broke that law. I think it's important that people break uh, break the like the prohib- prohibition of marijuana laws because I don't think that we'd be having a conversation about the legalization of marijuana and about the huge problem we have with mass incarceration and people going to jail for doing this thing that is not dangerous to themselves or other people. Um, and so I like I think that we need to have that conversation and we wouldn't be having it if people weren't breaking that law. Right. I agree with that. And certainly, I mean, obviously, you're going to first off, we have to just draw a line uh, between civil disobedience and other kinds of law breaking. Like, obviously, um, you know, the civil disobedience is often uh, right and often uh, the the only uh, correct or moral path of action in the face of injustice. Like uh, obviously, you know, sit-ins um, uh, during this during the civil rights movement, for instance, um, were important. But that's that's a different kind of breaking the law because that's a kind of law breaking the law where you um, understand that that you are breaking a law, you are choosing to break the law, and then you are you know suffering the legal consequences. 
so so you're you're basically mm-hmm. sort of using the rule of law to bring attention to the injustice of a law. That's different from smoking pot, um, which is against the law. Yes, but but you know usually you know you smoke pot in the privacy of your own home or whatever, uh, hoping not to get caught. Um, and I but that said, I agree with you that it is not wrong uh, to break the law and that you are still a good person if you break the law. However, we have to understand that we're coming at that conversation from a tremendous place of privilege. You're 11. If you smoke pot, you're 11 times more likely to be imprisoned if you're African-American than if you're white. So it's it's relatively easy for me to say, um, you know, that that it's that it's okay or even you know, that there's nothing you know, wrong with breaking the law when I am very unlikely to receive the kind of harsh punishments that have that have been this like great disgrace of mass incarceration in the United States. I I think it's a lot more complicated to tell someone who's in a position where they could go to jail for 25 years that they should smoke pot um, if they want to. Like, I think that you don't want to lose you don't want to lose in the conversation the, the real risks that people run um, when they break laws and they aren't in privileged positions. Right. And that that is entirely the reason why I was anti... Like, th- when I was growing up, I was anti-drugs almost exclusively because I knew that it could mess up my future. Which, is, But that is not a reason to not break the law. Uh, I mean, I, it is. Uh, but, but that is not the question that Aiden is asking. Aiden is asking, is it always wrong to break the law? And the answer is No. It is not always wrong to break the law, um, and and it is not. It is probably not a good idea, but that does not change the fact that it is not wrong. Right. I just want people. I, I yeah, but I just want to be conscious of the fact that there are, you know, potentially catastrophic consequences um, to some people, and that those consequences are unfairly distributed among the population. Yes, I agree with. The you. only other thing I would say about that. Uh, is that I, I actually don't think it's always wrong to break just laws. Um, it, it's just that they have to be exceptionally minor ones and the circumstances have to uh, dictate it. For instance, I think that the, that speed limit laws are good, that we should have more of them, in fact. But occasionally it's okay to speed. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you're... Yeah. Uh, one, time I, one time I got food uh, stuck in my esophagus and so I couldn't swallow any, any water, <laughs> couldn't swallow any liquid. I decided to drive myself yeah. to the hospital and I would throw up every like five or 10 seconds because you just, it was producing so much uh, saliva trying to get this uh, piece of food down my esophagus, but then my esophagus, you know, couldn't handle it. So it would just come back up. And I thought it was okay to speed in that situation just because like I really did kind of need to get to the hospital and uh, <laughs> it worked out for me. So Aiden. Oh man. If the question is, John and Hank, there is food in my esophagus. I cannot get it down or yeah. up. Uh, is it okay to speed? I'm going to say a cautious yeah. yes. Yeah, I, I, and I do think that this this is a problem with laws. Like, we want to have a system, and we need to have a system where there are, like, there are rules. And sometimes the rules get broken in ways where everybody's like, well, I understand why that happened, but we have to enforce the law. And uh, that can cause big, 
big problems, you know, especially when like the letter of the law is different from the intent of the law. And that that does happen sometimes where, you know, you, you have a law that was built for one situation being applied to a new situation that it clearly does apply to, but that it was not intended to address. Um, and that's why that's one of the many reasons why legal systems are complicated and why you have to go to school for a real long time to be a lawyer. Yeah, I mean, it's also just another example of how uh, to me, to me, the whole the whole legal system, um, at least in the U.S., like is just a great example of how uh, power sort of conser- conserves and preserves itself. Yeah. Um, very efficiently and effectively. Uh, because once you're inside of the legal system, like if you're if you're on parole, for instance, like everything just becomes much more complicated yeah. and challenging. It's just so much easier to go back to jail. Um, but if if you're never inside of the system, then it seems that the system is quite effective mm-hmm. um, because you can point to you know lower crime rates over the last thirty years and lots of other stuff. Um, but then once you're inside of the system, it's just. Uh, it's tremendously dehumanizing, and uh, and and also, you know, it's 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 one of the places where uh, class and race and 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 sex are just most obviously, you know, the data is just overwhelming um, that that they play huge roles in what happens to people uh, who commit offenses that are that are deemed to be illegal. Sorry, I'll get off my soapbox now and answer another question. Dear John, uh, this question this question is from Sophie, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm a high school senior in the midst of the college application turmoil. My parents think I have a delusion of grandeur about being able to make a lasting impact in the world. Should I be realistic? And why does being realistic mean I have to give up on my dreams of doing something amazing? Mm. Mm. Uh, don't do it. Just believe in yourself. Everybody can. Everybody makes big changes on the people around them, at the very least, and also maybe on the whole world. And I think that having dreams is fantastic. And I think that, uh, but I also think that uh, refining those dreams as you go on is absolutely okay too. So having something that drives you forward is not something that you should not uh, engage with. Like have that thing drive you forward. And if suddenly, if, if it like, it, it becomes clear that that thing isn't, uh, isn't necessarily gonna happen, that's okay. Don't move, go in a different direction. Have a new thing that drives you forward. Uh, but I, you know, I think, you know, being able to make a lasting impact on the world, that's not thats not delusional, right, John? No, quite the opposite. I've, I'm reading this book about ancient Rome, actually, uh, and the writer keeps saying, you know, like something will happen in ancient Rome, and then the writer will say, and the world would never be the same. And I just keep thinking, <laughs> but like after everything that happens, the world is never the same. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, you know, after I finish playing a game of... Uh, of Wimbly Womblies on FIFA 16, the world will never be the same. The world will never be the same after you have kids. The world will never be the same after you get married. The world will never be the same after every event in in human history. Um, So I guess for me, the 
it's a false it's a false choice between uh, being realistic and being able to make a difference because there are so many ways to make a difference. I do believe in uh, being realistic uh, about your dreams, but I also believe in having those dreams. I believe in like finding ways to make them uh, make them realistic rather than uh, just just agreeing when you're told that uh, you know that that things like that don't happen to people like you. They do. Um, whatever it is, whatever the dream is, things like that do happen to people like you, mm-hmm, unless mm-hmm. the dream is uh, becoming a banana and uh, floating <laughs> in space all the way to Mars, because yeah. we've already learned that it takes way too much energy to get uh, out of the Earth's atmosphere in the first place. <laughs> Why do you always bring up the atmosphere? Um, because it just infuriates you. It does. It It does. Yeah, I, I mean... We've got a very thick atmosphere, Hank. It's hard to swim through. Doing big things, uh, it... it. I, I think that the, the number one thing is to not tie your self-worth up in this, in a quest to make some mag- magnificent impact. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, like, that's... Maybe that's what your parents are trying to protect you from, uh, the, the potential that, uh, like, you'll get... So, like, you will believe that you are not a worthwhile person unless you have this kind of impact. And I think a lot of us are we kind of are taught that. The people that we hear about in the media, the people that uh, are idealized, whether that's a business person or a celebrity, are people that seem to have outsized impact on the world, like greater than average impacts. And uh, and and so we we sort of can like we we tie that to. Uh, to like what makes a person a person worthwhile, so it is possible that like you know don't don't think that that is the only way to be a worthwhile person. That is absolutely not the case. But yes, do want to have impacts on the world. Do want to make the world a better place, and do make decisions based on that. Um, you know, based on the the change that you want to make in the world, have that be a guiding force in the decisions that you make, whether that's what school you go to or what you do on a Friday night. Um, and yeah, that's that's absolutely okay to do. It's always been seemed so weird to me that people uh, put so much emphasis on celebrity. And I know that I know that like I'm you know coming at this from a particular perspective and everything. But um, <laughs> but that said, like. I, I just don't believe that uh, celebrities have some massive impact on, you know, the social order that quote unquote regular people don't have. Like if you want to have a, a lasting big impact on the social order, be a teacher, because when you're 75 years old and you're still teaching 15 year olds, those 15 year olds are going to remember you for another 60 years. You know, those 15 year olds are going to remember you when you would have been 135 or whatever. Uh, no one is going to remember m- the vast majority of like so-called celebrities when they uh, would be 175 years old. Hank, who was the guy who was on that show, Charles in Charge? Mm-hmm. Scott. Scott Baio. When we were kids, Scott Baio was phenomenally famous. I wanted to be Scott Baio worse than I've ever wanted to be <laughs> anything in my life. And I just, even though it's only been 20 years, nearly forgot his name. Yep. Yeah, I, I sing this song about Helen Hunt, uh, who was the biggest, biggest star on TV when I was uh, a young person. And uh, I will sing this song about Helen Hunt and and 
the majority of the people in the room will not know who Helen Hunt is, which is just a tragedy. She's wonderful. It is a tragedy. But I have to say, uh, because both Helen Hunt and Scott Bayo are um, just phenomenally important people in human history, but <laughs> I have to say... And they're also um, old friends of the podcast. So hi, Helen. Hi, Scott. Thanks for listening. We appreciate your support. Keep sending in your questions. We'll answer one someday. Um, I I have to say that, like, I think that in some ways you make a choice between having a having a sort of a deep impact on people's lives and having a broad impact. Um, and celebrities are always celebrated in part for having such a broad impact. Um, but a lot of times I feel like it isn't a deep impact. And we've talked before, Hank, about how the only following worth having uh, is a cult following. And I deeply, deeply believe that because, uh, you know, the the sort of cult, uh, cult-like institutions that I've followed over the years, whether it's They Might Be Giants or The Mountain Goats or um, or the Mr. T experience or Zay Frank when he was making the show, um, you know, those are the things that have had the biggest impact on the way that I think about life and, and the things that I found most helpful in, in the darkest times to mm-hmm. kind of get me through. And nothing against Scott Bayo or Helen Hunt, but like I, I haven't turned to their to them in in my darkest hour the way I've turned, for instance, to uh, John Darnielle of the Mountain Goats. Agreed. Agreed. I have another question, John. It's from Alex, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm Alex from Maryland. My friend Chase recently told me how great the podcast is. So far, I'm loving it. Welcome to the podcast, Alex. My question is, is mayonnaise an instrument? Um, I think that this might have something to do with SpongeBob. I googled it. Yeah. uh, And, but... uh, SpongeBob seems to think that mayonnaise is not an instrument. Now, I don't know any of the context of this argument, but I will say that I think anything can be an instrument, and if you want proof of that, you can go to watch Songs to Wear Pants to the YouTube channel, where Andrew Huang does uh, play music with uh, just about anything. He recently played uh, a symphony, I think something by by uh, one of the classical composers, uh, with thongs, you know, on the underpants. And I think that if you can play uh, a classical piece of music with thongs, then you can play something with mayonnaise. My answer to this question would be that that mayonnaise is certainly an instrument. It's an instrument of horror and destruction and sadness. I see see what you mean. I love mayonnaise, and I don't know what's wrong with you. What do you mean you love mayonnaise? I mean that I I think that mayonnaise is a, a condiment that I enjoy putting on uh, various salty type foods. Are you kidding? You you like you put mayonnaise on a sandwich? Sure. Oh God, really? That's what mayonnaise is. That was that's what mayonnaise was created for. That that's what humans do with mayonnaise. Mm. That is literally the thing that is done with man. And I mean, like potato salad, oh, egg God. salad, all of oh, these mayonnaise uh, uh. salad dressings are often made with mayonnaise. How is this? An, how is this a, a surprise? I can't to you? believe you like mayonnaise. It's mayonnaise. It's like if you told me if you just suddenly announced that. You know, you believed deep down that the greatest football club in the world was Manchester United. Like, I just cannot believe that someone I've counted on for so many years and been so close to all this time has been liking mayonnaise. I mean, were you not around from my childhood? That's what I ate. I ate ham and mayonnaise sandwiches. I would not eat anything else. Oh, God. Ham and mayonnaise sandwiches. I, first off, I wasn't around for your childhood. I went to boarding school when you were 10. But uh, <laughs> that just sounds awful. Why would you eat ham and mayonnaise sandwiches when you could put mustard on that sandwich and oh, get the same? Oh, ugh, ugh. What? Uh, what? Mustard? What? Oh, my God. God, I don't know how people do mustard. It's just like, 
It's just like uh, just just dirt mixed up in vinegar. I mean, mustard is one of the great tastes on earth, and mayonnaise is one of the worst. Mayonnaise is something like I. Sometimes I open my refrigerator and I'll see that we have a, a jar of mayonnaise in there, and I'll be like, "Why do we own this? This is reprehensible." It probably went out of date in like 2011. <laughs> we just haven't gotten it out of the fridge. Well, mayonnaise, mayonnaise lasts a real long time. It's one of the remarkable things about. Yeah, mayonnaise. I wonder why. Maybe it's because it's made of preservatives. But it it just it lasts forever. I would actually like to know why mayonnaise lasts so long. Someone should ask that to the podcast, and we can answer it sometime after I do some research. All right. Well, in the meantime, Hank, we have to move on from this horrifying discussion to the news of Mars and AFC Wimbledon. I want to say the only time mustard is good is when it's mixed with mayonnaise. Oh God. It's just that's the fastest way to ruin mustard. It's, I, I think that that's most salad dressings. It's just mayonnaise and mustard mixed together. Right. That's why I don't. That's why I don't eat creamy salad dressings. Nor does anyone who has any kind of sophisticated palate. <laughs> Do you think that it's already time for the news from Mars? Because I don't think it is. I think it's time. I think it's time to talk about our sponsors, John. Because this episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by mayonnaise. Mayonnaise, creamy, delicious goodness made with whole eggs. Nope, nope, nope. This podcast is not brought to you by mayonnaise. It's brought to you mayonnaise. by mustard. Mustard, delicious, <laughs> nutritious, and no, no, no mustard has no food eggs in it. In it. Zero zero calories in mustard. It is the opposite, literal opposite of nutritious. This podcast is also brought to you by Breaking the Law. Breaking the Law, it's it does not make you a bad person. Sometimes, I mean, first off, nothing well, makes well, you a bad not person. Not necessarily. Does not necessarily make you a bad person. And of course, this podcast is brought to you by DVDs. DVDs. <laughs> a technology that most of you are not familiar with. That's not true. Everybody knows what a DVD is still. The other day I asked my uh, I asked Siri a question yeah. because I was curious uh, if my Wii pl- would would play DVDs. Uh-huh. Um, so I asked DV- I asked uh, Siri um, does would my Wii play Netflix? And then I said, "Oh, I mean no, DVDs." And Siri understood all of those words. Wow. Uh, but I I was at the point where I accidentally called DVDs Netflix. Yeah. Well, I don't blame you. <laughs> Um, that is so. Wow. Okay. And remarkably, Siri gave me the correct answer to that question. Uh, Siri, which is, is no, else. my my we cannot play DVDs. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Why would it be able to play DVDs? Nick, if you could just I'm cut all te- of this boring crap out of the podcast, that would be great. What are you talking about? I think that's you. It, what you just did, John. As I made, I told a story that I thought was funny, yeah. and then you said, "Nick, can you cut that boring crap out of the podcast?" Yeah. And it hurt my feelings. All right. Well, to be fair, I think I've talked for eighty-five percent of this episode of Dear Hank and John, so you should probably be allowed to ramble on a bit. <laughs> so, listen, your toilet is massively gross. Like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet: Blue Land's sustainable toilet cleaner tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet. 
with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. All right, John. I guess it is now time for the news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. I got a little bit of Mars news. Do you got a little bit of AFC Wimbledon news? I do, uh, but only a little bit. It's been a quiet week uh, for AFC Wimbledon as um, <laughs> as the, the senior team has, uh, has not um, played this week. In fact, they haven't played since January 2nd. They have a game against Carlisle oh that was postponed because of the FA Cup. However, Hank... The AFC Wimbledon under-18 team played Premier League side Newcastle last week. Newcastle are like, they're one of the biggest teams in England. And AFC Wimbledon won 2-1 thanks to two goals from a ginger, a 17-year-old ginger, Hank, whose name is Alfie, Alfie Egan. 17-year-old Alfie Egan (laughs) scored two goals against Newcastle's under-18 team to send the under-18 AFC Wimbledon team all the way through to the sixth round of the FA Youth Cup, where they will face either Chelsea or Manchester United. Is that not unbelievable? I cannot believe it. I can't believe that we have a ginger on our books named Alfie Egan. The future could not be brighter. I'm so pleased. I don't know what it means, but I have news for you, John. All right. Uh, About Mars, kind of. The Martian won a Golden Globe for best pick for best comedy. Uh, I don't know how it ended ended up being a comedy. There are funny parts. Uh, but it did win a Golden Globe, so that's good. So that's the news for Mars: is that this movie about Mars won a Golden Globe? In his uh, yay! In his acceptance speech, um, uh, Ridley Scott talked at length about the importance of Mars exploration uh, and how there was no future uh, for humans uh, where we did not continue to reach uh, for further uh, further life afield. And how we needed to go to Mars, and there was widespread agreement among the, all the Hollywood people. All right. Well, that's, that to me sounds like a comedy movie to me. I made all of that up. Ridley Scott didn't talk about any of that. Oh, I don't, I don't watch TV, so I wouldn't know. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, if, if we can call this a comedy podcast, though... The Martian can can win a Golden Globe for best comedy. I will say I didn't think The Martian was the best comedy of the year, but I did think it was one of the best movies I've seen this year. I, in fact, I have to say I thought it was much better uh, than uh, th- than The Revenant, which won a lot of uh, yeah. awards last night. Which is a very like just an unfathomably violent movie about a bear, um, <laughs> which usually you would think that I would like because I I love violence and I love bears. But I just I didn't I didn't find the combination that appealing in this particular instance. Mm, mm, interesting, interesting. I I thought that uh, the Revenant was about Leonardo DiCaprio. Does Leo play the bear? Leo does not play the bear. He plays a man who gets mauled by a bear. Um, the, oh. the issue with the Revenant really is that it's not about anything except for uh, survival 
and a pure desire for revenge, um, which oh. is I like I I don't find these revenge fantasy. Uh, movies to be uh, compelling in and of themselves. It's beautiful cinema and everything, and the cinematography is amazing. Leonardo DiCaprio is brilliant in it, of course. He's a very good actor. But um, uh, I just felt that there was no there there, if you get my drift. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I went to see Star Wars again this weekend, and uh, the people that I saw Star Wars with, a number of them stayed to then watch The Revenant immediately afterward, and I found that to be a questionable decision. Also, it's of uh, questionable legality, unless they paid for both movies. They did play, They did. They did have to move to a different theater, yes. Okay, um, good, good, good. That is one of those cases where probably you shouldn't break the law if you're just stealing. Yeah, yeah, no, don't do that. Uh, and as they say uh, in the previews every single time with that guy in the hoodie who's filming the movie on his iPhone, that is illegal, douche. <laughs> so don't do that. <laughs> um, Hank, what did we learn today? We, uh, we learned that, John, uh, if you try hard enough, you can set anything on fire. It's not actually true. But you can set a lot of things on fire. <laughs> not anything, though. You cannot set helium on fire. Or any of the noble gases. That's why I live in a world full of helium. <laughs> you must have a real deep voice if this is your helium voice. We also learned that uh, DVDs are shaped like uh, VHRs or VCSs. <laughs> we can't remember. <laughs> Neither can we remember Scott Bayo very much anymore, but I'm sure that both he and Helen Hunt are having a lovely go of it. And of course... <laughs> I don't even know what to say after that. What does that even mean, having a lovely go of it? Having a lovely go of what? They're just in life. You know, Helen's oh, working on movies goodness. and stuff. She's always doing Helen interesting Hunt, no, things. Helen Hunt was nominated for an Oscar a few years ago. She's great. She has a great career. And, of course, we learned that uh, if you're on the moon, uh, the Earth may eclipse the sun, but don't trust John. He got uh, a C- minus in both physics and chemistry and uh, biology (laughs) and that question is probably one of those (laughs) not really it must be (laughs) because it seems like a science Uh, question and those were the only science classes those are all the those are the science well okay I, i i see i see how you see the world uh, thank you for podcasting with me, John. I hope that people enjoyed this as much as I did. Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. You can email us your questions at hankandjohn at gmail.com, or you can use the uh, hashtag on Twitter, uh, hashtag DearHankAndJohn. I'm John Green on Twitter. Hank is Hank Green. Uh, you can also follow us on other social media. Most notably for Hank is Snapchat, Hank G-R-E. And most notably for me, my Reddit. I'm not giving you the, the uh, I'm not giving you the username. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, This podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. The theme music is from Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't don't forget forget to be be awesome. awesome.